Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. And we're still seeing it quite well through that haze. T-minus 37 seconds. Fight is growing. E equals MC. That all men are created equal. About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another wonderful episode of Finding Your Frequency. I am your host, Ryan Treasure. I want to give a big shout out to the listeners who've been tuning in for all of this time uh, as... We know we've been rocking this radio show since 2016, and so uh, wouldn't be possible without all of you guys out there listening. So thank you so much. And if you're new to the show, make sure you share it with your friends and also uh, give us a five-star rating, give us a review. And if you have any subject matter, content, or experts you want us to speak with, please send us an email at info at voiceamerica.com. We have a great episode for you guys today. Uh, you know you know me, I love technology, I love economies, uh, uh, I love uh, all things, you know, leadership and, you know, all of those types of things. And so we have a great guest that we're going to speak with today that's going to talk uh, um, about some marketing during pandemic and some some digital growth tools, um, some different things in, in, the, in the marketing and design space. Uh, and so it should be kind of fun as we kind of shift gears from our last episode where we were very, you know, business focused. We talked about economics and some different uh, uh, areas of economics uh, with our friend uh, uh, Kurt. And then we, uh, you know, really got kind of in the nitty gritty with what we called servant leadership and, you know, making sure that as business owners and as executives and leaders and companies, we're making sure that we're, you know, setting a, a precedence of leading by example. And, uh, also had conversations on the idea of, you know, bottom up company management versus top down company management. Um, and some of the kind of shifts and structures that are there. And I'm, and I'm sure that our guest today, um, will have, also have some insights into that as, um, uh, she is also the founder and president of uh, her company, which is called Paradigm Marketing and Design. She spent many, many years helping clients make millions of dollars and realize their goal and has become a highly regarded figure in the marketing industry and is widely recognized for her exceptional business and marketing intelligence and her passion for sharing the knowledge and that benefit with others. So I want to welcome our great guest to the show today, Rachel Durkin. Welcome. I <laughs> love that. Thank you so much, Ryan. I really appreciate you having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for taking your time to be on. I know that you know you're a, a busy, a busy uh, CEO, a busy mom. You got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, you know, uh, I definitely know how that goes. I have a seven-year-old who wants to do ten thousand things every day, uh, mm -hmm. and I want to do ten thousand things every day. And uh, you know, your plate gets pretty full, so I know I, uh, your time is valuable. So thanks for jumping in on finding a frequency with us today. My pleasure. I can relate to that. And the pandemic, <laughs> the pandemic's made it even harder for us. I think when we have kids at home, right? Oh, geez, I'll tell you right now. Three times this school year alone, right? Go to school, go home, go to school, go home, go to school, go home, go home for a long time, go to school, go home, go mm -hmm. to back to school, right? Craziness. And then 
three different times while she was at, at, at in 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 uh, in school learning right because i'm a big proponent of if you can go to school we're taking mm-hmm. you to school social stuff all that good stuff right and three different times right in different parts of the year right we just had one happen a couple of weeks ago it's springtime in arizona our spring starts way earlier than everybody else's in phoenix mm-hmm. right so we're getting allergies like in march in late february right that kind of stuff and my daughter says to the teacher oh hey my, my throat's a little bit scratchy you know and you know and she takes a drink Wrong of water. Move, kid. <laughs> yeah, but, but, yeah, sends her over to the nurse's office, right? And then the nurse is like, hey, you got to come pick up your kid. COVID-like symptoms. Uh, mm-hmm. You have one, uh, two, one of two options you need to do. Either go quarantine for 14 days uh, or, excuse me, uh, 10, 10 school days, which would be 14 mm-hmm. days, um, or um, or or get a negative COVID test. Well, I'm like, oh, so we've done this three times where this has happened in the, in the course of the year, right? And so then my poor kid has to get her nose swabbed each time. And yeah. I would have thought maybe by the first or second nose swab, maybe she would have started to understand like what was kind of going on. Maybe I'm expecting too much from a seven-year-old, but each time like it sucks because I have to have that conversation with my kid, right? Of like, hey, you got, please be careful with this, you know, because this whole thing is going on and it makes it real tough as a parent, you know, when, you know, we're all trying to focus on business and all this kind of stuff and then we have this added pressure of uh you know the the back and forth with the kids and managing that and it's uh definitely been a juggling act for the last uh you know over a year but here we are we shall persevere right <laughs> gotta keep trying yeah, never give up right i think that's an important part of you know uh, uh business right is you know never giving up making sure that you know you have contingency plans in place and you know different things of of those nature because you know, now we know that this is a possibility. Every company that's out there better have a plan for in the event that this happens again, right? We, we didn't have one before, but we definitely, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, shame on me, you know, the, uh, you know, shame on you the first time, shame on me the second time, right? <laughs> well, it's kind of like, I love I love Simon Sinek and he, he talks about the infinite game. And in addition to that, I was listening to CNBC yesterday and they're talking about how this was a catalyst to move everything significantly faster than we would have otherwise. So mm-hmm. I think you always have to be prepared for change and adjust your strategies appropriately. But this happened so quickly that if you weren't moving at lightning speed, you have no, like it just kind of flew by you and you're like, where am I? <laughs> What's yeah. going on? But likewise, it's also presented some amazing opportunities if you knew where to look. So yes, from a parenting standpoint, incredibly stressful but i've also gotten to be a lot be home with my family a lot more so there's always benefits and and challenges that come with it right yeah definitely you know this the challenging thing for me because you know i work we work in broadcast and so you know for me specifically nothing changed Right. I still had to get up mm-hmm. in the morning. I still had to commute to the studio, mm-hmm. um, you know, because we are essential employees for the broadcast component. It's not like <laughs> I, I joked. I was like, can can each one of us just pack up like a station and we can like take it home and put it in our garage or something like that? And yeah. like we weighed all these different options. It's like, no, it's not really possible. You can't move, you know, a thousand square foot control room facility that runs, you know, mm-hmm. uh, six online Internet talk radio stations that broadcast 24 hours a day, seven days a week and just put it at someone's house like I'm, you're like, you're like, really? wait a minute. Can my house internet even handle that much bandwidth? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it was really challenging because, you know, I'm still traveling back and forth and I'm not getting mm-hmm. that benefit of, you know, working from home and having more time with my kid. Like I'm still working my, yeah. you know, eight o'clock in the morning until five thirty at night. And, you know, on certain days a week, I, you know, like my karate dojo never closed down. So I'm still doing karate and still doing those, those types of activities. And, you know, um, and then, and then it's really uh, kudos to my wife because, you know, she, 
started working from home. She had no choice. The kid was at home doing online schooling and that kind of thing. So, you know, she she managed all of that um, with her working from home and the kid doing her thing with online learning. And I wasn't yeah. there to help because I had to come to the studio. And so, man, mm-hmm. I, I, I owe her a big old steak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you did something nice for Mother's Day this year. <laughs> I did. Actually, I'm we're going I'm going to I'm going to go buy her a new car. That's very wise. <laughs> I'm sure it's worth it. Yes, I'm actually setting up an appointment. Uh, I've talked, been talking to some some dealerships and stuff, so we're gonna go down there on Sunday and uh, trade in her vehicle on on something something else. Nice. So she, she'll be yeah. happy with that. It's 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 long I'm overdue. Sure. Long overdue. Her car has like 145,000 miles oh on goodness. it, so it's time for her to get a new one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are you looking at? You know, um, so this, that's actually kind of a funny story. You bring that up. Uh, my wife is totally like her family's a all Ford people for a lot further, like back, back. And then my family, uh, uh has been all Chevrolet. And so mm-hmm. our house is a house divided. There's a Chevrolet pickup truck parked on one side and a Ford mm-hmm. SUV parked on the other. <laughs> uh, well, now you got to get into the electric cars and there's a third, there's a third, uh, category you've got to fight over. Yeah, and we were looking at some kind of hybrid options too, where it's like gas and electric and those kind of things. And yeah, so we're we're weighing some of those options. There's um, a couple of cool things that Chevrolet has out that we're looking at. The um, they have a version of the new Chevrolet Blazer that's a, a hybrid Blazer, um, you know, and it's kind of like a sport comp, like sport SUV thing. So those are kind of cool. Um, but I think I think I've I think I've convinced my wife to come over to the Chevrolet Bowtie side. Uh, oh, so, all right. So that's that's a that's a big feat in an, in and of itself <laughs> <laughs> a marriage win on your uh, one tick on your side yeah i mean and i don't matter what it is you know um i just know that the vehicle that she has now uh you know it's time for her to get a new one and she definitely deserves it so that's what we're gonna do probably on sunday or as, as, as early as we can go in on sunday because you know how those dealerships can be and i'm like mm-hmm. uh, i bought i bought a bunch of cars over my lifetime you know and so i'm just like listen this is what i want this is what my payment's gonna be go you guys go figure it out (laughs) yeah i hate that whole back and forth stuff it is it's a pain you've got to go to like six different dealerships and but you know you only have to do it every couple of years so true that true that true that uh my my truck is gonna last forever i got like this crazy hundred and fifty thousand mile warranty on it with a hundred dollar deductible so my truck will probably be running forever it's fantastic (laughs) Good. So you don't have to go back for a while. No, no, no. This is, I had told, this is going to be my last gas powered vehicle that I'm going to buy personally. The, the technology changing as cars become just like any technology is becoming redundant so quickly that, mm-hmm. you know, you get something and it's already dated within six months. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm a truck guy. So, um, and, and I, I looked at electric vehicles last April when I bought this truck, I had, I had no choice to buy a new truck. I got a car accident. So I had to go get a new, a new vehicle. Oh. But, um, I was, I was like trying to find uh, an electric truck. Right. And like the Tesla one wasn't quite where it needed to be. It took you forever mm-hmm. to get one. I need a car now. I don't have one. You know, um, there's a company here in Mesa that does, uh, electric trucks that they're in trials and they, so they haven't started production on them. Um, but when they do, those are going to be super cool. They're going to be way better than the Tesla ones. Cause they're like, you know what a Ford Raptor is those like, uh, mm-hmm. uh pickup trucks that has crazy suspension and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. four wheel drive. So they're basically making an electric version of the Ford Raptor and so um, in my head I'm like I'm going to drive this Silverado that I have this will be the last one that I buy and then, <laughs> the, next, make it to that. And then the next one I will buy will be an all-wheel drive electric truck 
All right. Well, so, we're going to count down the days. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully it makes it. Oh, uh, I'm sure it will. I think they're slated for production in 2024. So. All right. So you only have like three years to go. Yeah. And, and I just, and my truck's new, so we should be good to go. So in about, yeah. in, in about five years when I'm ready to, you know, I've got it paid off and I'm ready to trade it in, then I'll uh, uh, get the electric one. My husband and I have a, a big argument over leasing versus buying. It sounds like you're a buyer. So yeah. I don't even know if I want to get into it with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was a I was a buyer for years, but I don't drive that much. And so I'm finding, I find that leasing it, I don't have to pay all of the repair costs that start to happen around three or four years. So someday I'll do a cost analysis and hopefully win the argument, but we'll see. Yeah, see, and I, I drive a lot. We have a boat, mm -hmm. right? And so yeah. during like these times of the year right now, you know, like we're getting ready to, you know, when it starts to get 110 degrees, you know, we're going to the lake. That's the best place to go mm -hmm. to stay cool. Um, you know, it's cooler out on that, you know, on the northern portion mm -hmm. and outside of the, you know, concrete jungle of Phoenix um, yeah. and all, all that, you know, you know, heat bubble that happens here. So, you know, I drive a lot. So I, I'm like, I buy vehicles just because I drive a lot. And then number two, I'm also extremely handy. I've been riding motorcycles and doing all that stuff since I was a little kid and I helped build cars with my dad. And, you know, so mm -hmm. when it comes to some of those, you know, things it's, for me, it's not that big a deal. Oh, the alternator goes out. I can change that. Kind of a of hobby. Stuff. Yeah. And then, so some of that stuff's not really that big of a deal to me other than the new vehicles I'm finding out with all their electronic stuff. That's some of the stuff that like I can't necessarily fix. That's why I got the big giant warranty, the 150,000 miles mm -hmm. on my new truck, because, you know, I'm like this thing has too many sensors and you know uh it, it lights up in the mirrors when people get too close to you it's got proximity sensors for cruise yeah. control like all this crazy stuff that my 2007 truck did not have cars are becoming like web development like when i learned to code 10 years ago yeah. within two years i knew nothing anymore <laughs> and cars are catching up to be the same way yeah, no, and that's funny that you bring that up too with marketing and design. There's been a huge push over time, you know, for mm -hmm. um, uh, STEM STEM based uh, curriculum for kids in that area. So that way, kids are coming out of high school knowing how to code in languages and you know some of those kind of things, which I think are are, are super important. I'm actually just looking at an online course for this thing called Kids Can Code uh, for mm -hmm. my seven year old daughter because it's coming up on summertime, and I'm like, well, how can I make learning how to code for her fun, right? Mm -hmm. And she likes to play games like Minecraft and Roblox and those types of things. And so there's some pretty cool things on like coding for like where you can make your own Roblox games and some of those kind of things. So I'm I'm looking into the, some of those things as activities for her over the summer so she can kind of learn a little bit more of stuff that they're not really teaching at school. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that's totally awesome. Uh, I do not, here's the weirdest thing. I cannot write code very well, but I can look at code and decipher what's going on there. <laughs> well, it's kind of like learning a new language. You know a couple key words and you can follow along, but you right. can't kind of write it from scratch. And, and coding is like learning a different language. So it's really good that your daughter's doing it now while, while she's still kind of in that mindset of learning new things yeah, because it's sure. definitely harder to do when you're older probably. Yeah, that's how I feel about introducing, um, you know, foreign languages to kids too, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we started her out in in, in pre pre-K um, at a dual immersion um, uh, pre-K, you know, when she was like three years old and they did half days, is the half day in Spanish, half day in English. She did that for two years before she went to kindergarten. Um, and then kindergarten was an immersion, but at the kindergarten uh, level they have, you know, just like high school kids, they have a class every day, you know, that's for Spanish. 
um, and they started at, in kindergarten. And you know, she, so she's smart. she's not fluent in Spanish, but you know, um, she knows you know how to point at objects and knows you what those. You could probably get around are. Mexico better than I could. So. Yeah, probably, and she, and it's crazy too. Like she can she she can roll her R's all perfectly, and it's mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's cool to hear her do that. And then they're teaching the kids all the sign language now and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff in schools too. It's amazing. I they didn't teach us any of that stuff when I went to school. No, or had a balance checkbook or anything good like that. Yeah, that's the only thing I feel like new early childhood education is really missing is some kind of, uh, you know, getting to know economics, you know, Mm -hmm. also early as well. You know, I'm talking, you know, like let the kids have their own, you know, manage their, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, My my daughter's school has these things where if they're good, they earn these things called tiger tickets, right? And then tiger tickets, you know, they add up over time. And then every other Friday they have the, uh, the tiger store, right? And the tiger store is, um, you know, like candy, you know, little rubber bouncy balls and jacks and dice and, you know, little trinkets and stuff that are super cheap. But um, then each one of them costs, you know, f- five tiger tickets, 10 tiger tickets or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is kind of a way where they're understanding where like, you know, you, you do, you do this, you get this right. And then you can spend your tiger tickets on these items if you want. So I think that's an early education kind of what they're trying to do, but I'd like to see them take it a little bit further than that. And actually, instead of having parents come and volunteer on Fridays to manage the tiger tickets. I think the kids need to do that. That's a great idea. Maybe have the older kids do it and yeah. something to look up to. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Have like, you know, the fifth graders come and help the Keep second the entrepreneurial graders. entrepreneurial skills while we're at it. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, my my kiddo, she's got that down. I told her, I said, listen, you need to have a side hustle. I told her this when she was like five years old. She's like, a side hustle? What's that? And I'm like, so your primary job is you go to school, right? That's your primary responsibility. I said, but if, you know, you want money for the ice cream truck or, you know, you see something at the store, a toy you want to buy or something like that. I'm like, you need to be able to have money for that. And she goes, well, can't you just give me money for cleaning my room? Or, and I'm like, no. I said, um, there's things called personal responsibility, right? Dishes, your bathroom, your bedroom, your laundry, your things, you know, cleaning up after yourself. Those are all things that you're socially responsible for on your own. I don't get paid for those things myself. I have to go to work for that. Um, So those Mm -hmm. things you're not gonna get paid for. Now, there may be some odd jobs around the house that dad might want some help with or something like that that maybe you could earn some money with. We can talk about that. And so sometimes she asks me like, dad, I I saw you brought some stuff home from Home Depot. What are you gonna be? (laughs) Can I help you? But that's just good. And then she collects cans uh, from from the neighbors. And yeah, my whole backyard is filled with bags of cans. I gotta go take them. (laughs) Yeah, she goes and, you know, um, has gone to the neighbors and said, Hey, I collect cans. If you could keep them off to the side for me, you know, and then on garbage pickup day, we end up with, um, you know, down the street, little bags of cans, uh, from all the neighbors and she goes and picks them all up and then we bag them up and put them in the backyard. And then once we have a full, a truck full, then we go and turn them in and she puts that in her savings account. Good for her. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fun stuff, right? Got to get these kids ready for like a, a world that, you know, the, the world we're in right now is not the world that they're going to live in, right? You know, you hear that a lot yeah. from a lot of economies, economists and early childhood educators, you know, like, like we got to get them ready for the future. You do. I, I'm finding too, understanding the value of money. So like my son, who's five, wanted to buy a toy but it was a hundred dollars. So he had to work for, I mean, we did give him a dollar for chores, but he, he had to work really hard. And then every time he goes to grandpa's house, he tries to go through the cushions for change. So, you know, more power to him, but (laughs) they got to understand the value of it, I think, and and what it's worth. 
Yep, that's 100%. I mean, money doesn't grow on trees. It's not something that's given to you. And it's a tool that in your toolbox that you need to leverage throughout your lifetime that, you know, if not properly taught from uh, an age, you could, you know, seriously, you know, end up in a, in a bad place later on in life. Uh, I'm, you know, uh, a, a fairly educated man when it comes to financials. Um, I still make rash decisions sometimes because I'm like, uh, whatever. I know it's I, financially, I know it's not a responsible thing to do, but I really don't care. I want to do this. So we're doing that. <laughs> right. And that's just part of the fun of life sometimes. Right. You get a little spontaneity every now and again. Um, but for the most part, you know, just being responsible and understanding that is is, is something that needs to be taught in, a, in an earlier age for sure. Yeah, and leadership development is so important too. You know, I've, we've been doing a lot of leadership training in my company. I know that you were mentioning, you know, servant leadership early from your last show. Yep. And you know, what we know is there's natural born leaders and and certain skill sets that are that make some people more natural to leading than others, but it can always be learned and 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 cultivated. So I think that's so important at a young age also. Yeah, you know, you're definitely correct. And I think that the, you know, um and that's something that has to come from both school and home. You know, mm-hmm. I think putting those kids in scenarios where they have the opportunity to lead a, a, a you know, a project or whatever. Um, yesterday, I got I got home from work a little bit late and I get home from work and I, I have, a, I, have uh, uh, <laughs> I pull up and my wife goes, don't pull in the driveway. She calls me. She sees me coming down the road. Don't pull in the driveway. Just park across the street on the road. And I'm like, OK, mm-hmm. cool. So then I pull up and I get out and they have this inflatable swimming pool out front in the driveway and I'm like what's going on out here and then I walk over there well they're doing a science experiment they had built they had built boats uh, my daughter and the, and the neighbor uh, who's uh, like two years older than her they decided they were going to build some boats out of cardboard and um, uh, use you know tape to make these boats and then they were going to do an experiment on who of the who had the boat that was the most buoyant, which could hold the most weight before sinking. And so that's what I got home to last night as they were. You know, and then they had different items, you know, uh, like a bust. They started with like a milk milk or tap or a bottle cap top. And then, you know, like some quarters and, you know, kind of stepped up in some stones and different different weights as they went up. And then they tested each boat. And so I was just like, what a great thing to do on a Tuesday evening. That's awesome. I mean, you're motivating me. I'm going to have to think of an activity later. I did, they, the kids came up with it themselves. They didn't even, it wasn't even something, you know, I asked my wife later, I'm like, who come up with that? They're like, the kids did. I was like, oh, <laughs> cool. They were like, I guess, awesome. so I guess the neighbor kid, uh, they, but they were going to be doing that in school. And so he mentioned mm-hmm. it to Marley and Marley's like, I got a bunch of boxes right there. We should make it, you know? And then she's like, I get the boxes to float without getting wet. So they, they did get wet, right? They still floated, um, but they like would tape the bottom of the, of the, of the boat with like, um, I, my wife gave them um, like the two inch thick, uh, like blue masking tape. Okay. And so that's yeah. what they used. It wouldn't be fair to use duct tape. Right. Cause then <laughs> be cheating. <laughs> right. <laughs> Excuse me. So yeah, they used that blue tape and uh, they had had some different designs too. The boats had, you know, like boat fronts and backs and stuff like that. And they were wide and had wide edges and, you know, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. And then, and then my daughter decided she was just going to tape up the bottom of a box without actually making it into a boat and then test that in conjunction with the boats. And you want to know what one of the science project, the box, just a box. (laughs) 
no yeah. no boat shape just a standard box with the bottom really? yeah we we put it in there and uh what was crazy is that thing was able to hold every item we decided to put in the box um and then we timed it after we did that and it took 11 and a half minutes for the uh for the water to soak through and for it to actually start sinking oh, wow. so i was like oh, i guess a square box works just fine <laughs> we have to change all of our engineering feats as a <laughs> as a country now <laughs> as a founder or business owner you know what it's like to run your entire business from your inbox. Between the sales, recruiting, and fundraising emails, things can get messy really fast. Streak is a CRM designed to help stay on top of each part of your process and your inbox without leaving Gmail. Amazing. Let's not leave Gmail. Let's just work from right there. Streak gives you tools for email tracking, mail merges, and snippets, saves you time, and you can scale up your email efficiency. In just a few minutes, you can also set up pipelines right inside your inbox, start tracking your contacts and emails through each process. Streak helps you collaborate by sharing emails and pipelines with team members, whether you work in an office, out in the field, or on a remote team. Pipelines are completely customizable so you can track processes and details specific to your business. Access your pipeline on desktop or mobile app to add and share information in meetings, at job sites, or however you work on the go. Sign up for Streak today at streak.com slash frequency and get 20% off your first year of their pro plan, their most popular option. That's streak.com slash frequency for 20% off their pro plan. Streak.com slash frequency. There's a funny story. When I was a kid, I was growing up and I did, uh, uh, I did, I did the Boy Scouts, right? And so we used to have these uh, 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 car races, pine car derby races, where you would build a like a derby car out of a pine block of wood, you know, put some uh, wheels on it and you would it had to weigh a certain amount in order like, you know, to for the rules, each one had to weigh the same. So you had to, you know, make your design and then make it weigh a certain amount and uh, mm. you know, put some graphite on the wheels to make them, you know, go really nicely. And I was in the middle of reading like one of my first physics books when we were doing that and it was uh, talking about mass and I was like, what if I don't build a car at all? What if I just make the weight and put some wheels on a block of wood? Right. Right. Because it's, you know, it's all gravity based. Right. And yeah. um, weight versus mass mass always wins. Right. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, what if I have the, what if I have the same weight, but more mass? So I didn't build a car. I did nothing. I just put wheels on a block of wood and then carved out what I needed to, to be able to put the weights on and make it weigh what it needed to weigh. And then um, mm-hmm. it was great. I smoked everybody. Fantastic. <laughs> Did you crash? Um, no, I don't, you don't drive it. It's a, it just, it's just oh, like, okay. it goes on a, like a little track. It just drops down and, oh, and, and, then, right. and then goes to a finish line. Um, and then you like, you know, you have races and then whoever ends up winning the bracket race at the end wins. And I won with a block of wood that was painted red. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Love science. But I think, you know, that's really those, those, those important components where people need to get out there and, and, you know, help out and, mm-hmm. You know, so let's let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit. I know we've been talking about some early childhood education, some different things on economics and things. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some stuff that you've got going on. Um, you know, you have been working in digital marketing for quite a long time. Um, you're a, a highly sought after motivator in the space and an influencer, um, you know, um, and you talk about the stuff with the pandemic, right? And there's, you know, all of these different things that have happened over time. You know, uh, I was I, I was doing I was doing another show uh, maybe two three weeks ago, and I had brought up uh, the idea of you know uh, cold calling, right? And it was like 
people hate cold calls because now cold calls come from like uh, like these robots, right? Mm-hmm. Or 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 or, the, or it's like an auto dialer, and the person's literally yeah. reading a script, right? They don't even ask you, "Hi, how are you doing? What is your name?" You know, there's no personal connection. Um, and so when the pandemic was ha- started, we we're like, "Let's pivot. Let's try. Let's try this out. Instead of sending emails, mm-hmm. let's start calling people." Right. And, um, that was our, that was our saving grace. Like, you know, for our company mm-hmm. is, um, you know, instead of trying to go hard on the digital side, we, we were like, yeah. let's go old school and let's make personal connections while people are stuck at home and not sure what to do in certain areas of marketing for, you know, audio based content and, uh, content marketing in, in the audio space. Uh, mm-hmm. and that worked out really well for us. Um, and I think that there's probably a lot of different companies that kind of had to figure out, you know, different marketing approaches and strategies as the pandemic was happening because they had to figure out a different way to reach people. Um, so as we kind of back up from that a little bit, um, Hey, I want to know a little bit about, you know, your company, who you are, why you started it and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, then we can move into, um, answering that question of, you know, from, from things that you had done in the past that you had known successfully, uh, to be, to be working marketing objectives. Um, you know, what are some of the changes that you've been seeing, um, for digital growth, uh, in, in the spaces over the time? So what we're going to cut that into like a two part thing, you know, I want you to, kind of give your story of background and where you came from and how you got where you are, why you started the business. Uh, and then I want to move into that topic of, you know, uh, I guess then versus now. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. And then what's coming next. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, sure. I'd be happy to. So I actually started paradigm as a, as an accident. It was a hobby that turned that accidentally started making money. So uh, before that I, I got out of school with an MBA and a master's in marketing and I went to work for pharma and then I had a quarter life, what I like to call a quarter life crisis. What's the purpose of things? Why am I doing this? What do I want to do with my life? And I did a total 180 and went over to nonprofit. So I worked in development and nonprofit for a while. And it was there when you're a nonprofit, like any small business, you wear a lot of hats. So I was one of the youngest person in the company and I was suddenly told you are now in charge of our digital marketing strategy. And this is at a time when digital was just starting to take off. I was still, you know, they were still coding websites in Flash and Facebook had been around for maybe three or four years. So, all right. I, I was, know, I know that time frame very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we remember that, those good old days. It was a little after dial up, but, you know, pre uh, Twitter. So, when I was at the nonprofit, I went back to school for web and graphic design because they, you know, we were, I was in the digital world, but I didn't understand how it applied or what the limitations were at that moment. So once I went back, I actually learned how to code. I learned how to design. I got certifications and accreditations in all of those areas. And I started doing websites for people at night and on the weekends because it was fun. It was a hobby for me. I actually, talking about your daughter coding, I tried taking coding in high school. I was a terrible IT person. I would get with, I, I would get anxiety. I couldn't figure out how to make these things work. And even in college, I remember taking a coding class and, you know, skidding by, by the skin of my teeth. But for some reason, once I understood the application of it, it became much more impactful to me. So uh, when I went back to school, I came out and I started doing this for people for fun. And I didn't charge at first. I actually remember I did my first website that was Gosh, I had to do like a hundred pages. It was pretty big and I charged $500 for it. So today that would have been like $50,000 and man, they got a deal, but in in their defense, I had no clue what I was doing. They didn't know that, but I knew that. Um, So from there, the business started as a web development agency. We did graphic design 
and it was really just me in the very early years. And eventually I would go out and I would meet clients and I'd say, well, what's your, tar- who's your target audience? And they wouldn't really know. And I'd say, well, how are you going to market? What's your strategy? And they, again, this is the early years of digital. They'd say, I need a website, but how are you going to use it? And nobody could really answer that question. And these were very small businesses. And so I started providing marketing consulting in addition to that, because it's not about one thing. Marketing is multiple things. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture called pointillism. It's a painting style where, and if you haven't, I would encourage you to Google it, but it's basically these amazing images made up with millions of dots. And that's what marketing is. It's millions of dots and the website is one dot. So how you use it and how you leverage it and how you plan to grow your business with it impacts how it's being built. And so over time, the business or this hobby uh, grew And suddenly one day I found myself making more money at my hobby than my real job. And I decided to take the leap. And here we are today. Huh, that sounds like a very interesting story. How the hobby, uh, how how the hobby turned into the, you know, the bigger moneymaker. That's pretty cool. Uh, What, what, what a great story to just kind of fall into that. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. A a lot of people have a lot of struggle when they decide to do their own business. It's kind of like they're, they're at a nine to five, you know, and they're, they're, you know, grinding it out, trying to uh, climb the corporate ladder. And then there becomes an aha moment or point where they go, why am I doing this for somebody else? Right. And then they, they start formulating and, you know, it's good to hear of a more of a feel good kind of story as to, you know, you just like, Hey, I'm doing this on the side. And then, Oh, wow. Whoa. Hey, guess what? That, that kind of came, uh, well, out of, out of, it wasn't a little quite bit. that easy. I think I'm, I'm <laughs> oh. to anybody out there who wants to start their own business. I, I all, you know, you can absolutely do it. And I would start as a hobby, kind of like get your, get the runway, learn the trade. Um, it's terrifying. Being an entrepreneur is really scary. So leaving my job and my health insurance was terrifying. Uh, hiring my first employee and realizing that I was, I was dependent, they were dependent on me for their mortgage was terrifying. (laughs) Hiring your second employee is terrifying. Getting health insurance is terrifying. Getting overhead is terrifying. Um, Taking loans out is terrifying. But I had an amazing business coach who said to me once, Rachel, you can't get to second base with your foot still on first. And so I, I tell myself that now every time I have to do something scary and the scariness gets easier. I've become a little bit um, immune or uh, numb to risk now, calculated risk. I don't just go around throwing money away, but um, taking the leap and pushing forward is so important. So yes, it was a hobby that turned into a business and it's a wonderful story and it was an accident and I didn't intend it. But when I did make that decision that I'm leaving my job to do this, it was it's been scary ever since <laughs> yeah, in a I, good way. I often use the term, uh, so my last name is Treasure, right? So I, mm-hmm. I I always often use the term, you know, walking off the plank of the pirate ship into the mm-hmm. abyss and unknown of entrepreneurism, right? Yeah. yeah. But usually if you, you know, now I would say that eight out of 10 times I make really good decisions and they always pan out and two out of 10 times they don't and you just have to be ready for it and deal with it and move on and learn from your mistakes. So uh, but but I think the most important thing is learning from your mistakes. Every time in, in my company now, when something doesn't work out the way we wanted or there was something that maybe was, and I don't like to say this, out of our control, mm. that's actually a really bad word in my company because 
I really believe that you can only control what you can control in your behavior. So if you had a difficult client situation or a project went wrong and maybe other people are to blame, it doesn't matter. What could you have changed to have influenced the situation? And if you look at that, then you're in order to improve every time, you're only going to make smarter decisions as you continue to grow. Yeah, that's 100% correct. And that's, you know, I really like that some of your core values for, you know, your brand are built on excellent support and success, right? And um, that you recruited a team of expert marketers um, who have a vested interest in the client satisfaction component, what they deliver, how they deliver it, um, and and really and really providing a uh, 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 an experience with the business um, that you know really caters to understanding what the potential is, where the growth is, where people really need to go. Um, because there's a lot of businesses, especially now, um, small businesses with the whole pandemic and all that kind of stuff. Like they didn't quite, you know, they, they had a business and they're like, oh my gosh, I need to get, I, I had, I had planned on having my Shopify cart, you know, going, you know, uh, I was going to do that this year. Right. And then mm-hmm. like, you know, this like accelerated all of these kind of things. And, yeah. you know, I, I think there's, there's a huge value in people like you who understand that and being able to help a company like that be able to go hey you know what let what are your goals what are you trying to do where do you want to go let's go there right and 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 you're absolutely right feature functionality goal setting uh revenue generation you know all of those components fall into the um like architecture of a given project you know um i'm yeah i'm i'm dealing with this right now right uh we're 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 building some new stuff and that's like all right, well, the new stuff needs to do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, right? So you have feature set. And then you're like, all right, um, I, want it to, I want it to look really good. So then you have a UI person go in and deliver you some Adobe XD files, <laughs> right? Uh, and then now it's like, okay, so now we have to match this with this and then figure out how to deliver that, that it's the most cost-effective, um, you know, open source versus non-open source. There's so many different choices, right? And being able to be, um, you know, light on your feet in those spaces, right? Because hosting costs get like out of control if you're not careful well, on, you know, integrating all assets of the outcome to the architecture. I think the challenge for small business is that, you know, we're not Coca-Cola. We don't have billions of dollars to throw into an idea. Just like you're saying, like there's so many things to consider, but what's your runway? How long do you have to fund this until you can make some money on it? And we specialize in working with mid-sized companies because, you know, when I think of a marketing plan, you know, I'm not I'm not good at a lot of things. I can't cook. I I am not that coordinated. I am a terrible dancer. But the one thing that I'm good at is when somebody explains to me their business goals, I can kind of map out their marketing plan for three years. Like I, I just can see it in my head. And but the problem is, is that it's not always feasible to wait three years to get everything done the right way. So by prioritizing what's gonna make me money now, what's my long-term goal, what do I wanna invest in for the future and, and when is so important. So to me, it's it's about where do I cut corners safely to bring in the revenue versus I know I wanna do it right this way, but what's the beta version and then the, the final version that goes out. So being able to plan accordingly <laughs> is so important. And going to, to answer your pandemic question, if I may, so you asked me what's changed, and I think we would all agree everything <laughs> pretty much has changed. And 
There's a couple things to consider. First, with every single crisis comes opportunity. So when the pandemic hit, the first thing I did was go back and research at a, at a, a very intimate level, the 2008 financial crisis, because it was the most recent. It was a very different recession, but it was a similar downfall, or it was similar in that it was also a downfall. And so I started looking at it and I found that companies that marketed through the recession showed an average of 275% growth over the next five years and companies that didn't showed almost no growth and if, if they even survived at all. And I really felt, and then I thought even more about the industries that came out of the 2008 recession. So it was mostly, well, I shouldn't say mostly, a lot of white collar jobs were eliminated. And so with that came the rise of the gig economy over the next 12 to 18 months, right? And with the gig economy, an entire industry formed around it. That's when Uber came out. That's when Airbnb came out. That's when, I mean, Amazon really changed their business model quite a bit around then because an entire new economic infrastructure was created because of the gig economy. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this is going to create an entire new economic infrastructure and it's gonna affect not just one one infrastructure, but it's gonna affect industries across the board, just like Airbnb has and Uber has and Amazon has. And so what is that going to be? Yeah, disruptive. There's very, very disruptive, uh, you know, changes in in economics for sure. Absolutely. So. But you can, you know, you're suffering at the moment, but if you're paying attention, you can capitalize on it. I mean, there's money to be made in every crisis. And I know that sounds, makes me sound like a terrible person, but it's there. <laughs> and um, so, so I'm answering this question. It's called capitalism, ways. Rachel. That's all it is. It's yes. just capitalism. <laughs> that's right. That's true. So to, to pivot on that question for just a second, then I'm going to come back. I'm going to leave you with that. I'm going to come back to it. Is that. Marketing is three things. Uh, It boils down to three things, no matter what. It's the target audience. It's the message and how you're going to go to market or how you position yourself to that target audience. And it's the go to market strategy. How are you speaking to your target audience? That's it. It's not rocket science. But each of those things changes in a drastic way, depending on the environment, what you're selling, who you're talking to etc. We know on average, it takes nine to 13 touches to engage your audience, depending on your industry. And when I'm, I'm sorry, when I mean engage, I mean to build trust with your audience. So you need to interact with a brand, a product, a service, a solution, a person, nine to 13 touches consistent times consistently in order to kind of remember them. Also keep in mind that we have the attention span of a goldfish or less. I actually read an interesting study by Microsoft that said our attention span is seven seconds and going down by two seconds a year. So I don't know what's, they didn't tell me what was going to happen in <laughs> three years, but I'm terrified. Um, but so you have to create these these touches in the communication strategy that's facilitating this message you're trying to articulate over and over again. And if you change your message, if you tweak the message, if you adjust something, it breaks the touch process and you have to start over again. So when the pandemic hit, we had to very quickly, we had to finish, I remember it was March, so we had just done you know marketing plans for all our clients. We literally threw everything out the window and we had to do a couple of things. We had to look at the new target audiences, what industries were getting crushed, Um, And what ones had a potential here, you know, medical device, for example, or pharmaceuticals or cybersecurity. I mean, we have clients that we picked up in cybersecurity because that's becoming a major issue. Um, They were they were poised to grow. And the companies like hospitality, travel, they were not poised to grow. And so being able to adjust your audience quickly was really important. That's number one. Number two, the messaging and positioning. Again, thank you for calling it capitalism. I feel kind of guilty saying it, but we have this concept in messaging and positioning called the hook or the client pain point or the motivator. People buy on a want or a need. 
and they buy on emotion. I don't care what you're buying. You're buying on emotion in some way, shape or form. You were saying like you, sometimes you spend money on something you want. You want it. It's an emotion. It makes you feel happy. You get a dopamine hit when you get it. (laughs) So that's what you want. Um, Creating a hook. And so let me back up in the emotional pain funnel. We look, or in the pain funnel, we look at three levels. You have the surface level pain, which is a perceived need. Uh, People aren't, don't always think your solution will solve their problem. Even when it will, because they're either uneducated or immature in the context of it. Um, There's the financial pain. I need to do this to make more money or I need to save for my children's college fund or whatever. And there's the emotional pain. If I don't do this, I can't feed my family. Or if I don't do this, I'm going to feel like a failure. Uh, Or if I do this, I'm going to look really good and it's going to make me happy. I'm going to get endorphins from the social, you know, mojo Mm -hmm. I get out of it, whatever it might be. During COVID, there was such a big fear factor. You know, we have these caveman brains that look for terror, you know, we're looking for danger. We're we're hardwired to do that. Hence why when you're driving down the highway and there's an accident, you, you really want to look at it, even if you know you shouldn't. Um, or when we watch the news, even though it's depressing, we're hardwired to pay attention to bad things because our brain is looking for danger to protect us. And so when COVID hit, the hook or the messaging opportunity went way up. If you could create a messaging structure that identified that emotional pain based on the, I don't want to say the fear or the fear or the hope that people were feeling at the time, you had an opportunity there. Uh, And then the third is the go to market. So, you know, anticipating new ways to communicate with people. You mentioned the cold calls because everybody was doing emails. Brilliant. Um, Video production. I have a stat here. For example, we know that between March 2019 and 2020, so like one month in the pandemic, if you compare the two months, video consumption went up 18%. And after COVID, this whole year, if you look at it all together, it went up 120%. So how new mediums are going to be adjusted because of how people are reacting to the environment is another opportunity. So going back to that crisis presenting opportunity, figuring out what the, what, what you can offer and then ident- aligning those three marketing kind of foundations to it is where the opportunity lies. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. It's a uh, uh, great feedback that you're giving there too, because I think a lot of people, um, you know, for, you know, from a very high level, right. Need, need some of this kind of basic understanding on, you know, uh, some of the nuances in, 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 in those factors, you know, and then I like, you have four proven digital growth tools, right. Which is a micro planning, um, getting socially active, automated behaviors, and then brand, uh, website investment. Um, so let's talk just a little bit about those because, you know, you have your, your main marketing strategy right of target audience positioning and then the go-to-market um where do these four components of digital growth tools that you found uh to be helpful fit into the standardized component of those three levels of of high level marketing that's a great question so let me i'm gonna take another step back for a second so Brand assets is a, is a term I use for small businesses. So we all, a lot of marketers will come to a small or mid-sized business and be like, I'm going to help you build your branding. And I feel like in my industry, it's become a bad word because unless you're like going to really saturate the market with the brand, how are you going to make enough money off of it? You know, depending on your business model. So branding is more than just, hey, I know what Coca-Cola is or I know what Uber is. It's brand assets. Your brand asset are things like your email list, your social following, hits to your website. Picture that you own an auditorium and people can walk in it whenever they want and it's a million seats. You can stand on the stage and say whatever you want to whoever's in there. If it's empty, you look like a psychopath when you're screaming from the stage. If it's full, you can have a call to action. You can educate someone. You can create a conversation. 
Those things like your email list and your social following, those are you filling the seats in the auditorium. So you have those assets when you're ready to make the call to action. Um, So concepts like uh, micro planning are actually, let me pause on that. So, so the brand assets are your ability in order to grow that over time. So that when, when you need to make a move, you can now going over to micro planning and this concept of micro planning, Back back in the day, pre-COVID, I used to have my team, we were very adamant about uh, being proactive and not reactive. I hate being reactive. I hate it in marketing. So, and doing it in marketing, it's stressful for everybody and you don't put your best self forward, your best work forward. So we used to plan things out at least eight to 10 weeks in advance. We know that the campaign is going to run at this time. We're going to plan it now. We're going to do the rollout. We're going to do the sales follow-up because mm-hmm. some people don't always process the sales follow-up properly. And this is how we're going to do this. That is impossible with COVID now and the way that things are changing and we don't know what's happening in the environment. We don't know what's happening tomorrow. So we have shrunk down this micro planning concept to a couple to maybe six weeks or four weeks. And you should constantly be asking yourself, is this still relevant? Does somebody still care about what I'm about to say? Is this still important? I'll give you an example. We did when COVID hit in March, we did a webinar webinar called marketing through the pandemic that launched in May. Now at the time, I thought people were going to go crazy with advertising and like, oh my God, it's going to be so expensive to advertise digitally because that's where we're all going to move to. And when I went to my publisher uh, contacts, they were like, yeah, nobody's buying. What do you want? (laughs) (laughs) I got crazy deals. I was like, really? No one's buying? This is crazy. So um, I went to all my clients. I'm like, you're buying something. So uh, we did this webinar. I, I paid like, you know, a tenth of the cost for the publication ad space. And we got 650 registrants immediately, like with very little effort. And we closed, I don't know, I think we closed like three or $400,000 in business just from that one webinar quickly. I did the same webinar in June and I got like barely a hundred people showed up. I paid more for it because people had caught up to the spending on, on digital. And I got barely a hundred people. And I think we maybe closed one deal from it. And it was a very small one. The same exact eight content at a different, right. at a, 30 days later, and it was totally different. So micro planning is so important. Do they, is the audience still right? Is the message still right? Do they still, you know, is the medium that you're reaching them still the right one? Yeah, that's definitely, definitely important. And then, you know, getting socially active was the, you know, the next one, right? You have people working from home. Um, mm-hmm. You have a huge surge in content consumption huge mm-hmm. right I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm i'm in the content creation space right mm-hmm. we we operate uh vo- just history lesson really quick voice america has been putting content online in an audio format and then audio on demand since 1999 while people were still rocking flip phones okay and so yeah. No, this idea of podcasting, all this stuff is something that we've kind of pioneered in in, in, in a way um, and, and kind of adapted into the industry. And it was so crazy to watch the total number of content that being created in the podcast space, if looking oh, at the yeah. total number of shows of, of, of podcasts on Apple iTunes and Apple podcast, um, you know, in in the uh, end of 2019 versus the end of 2020, where the 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 content literally increased 100 percent you know over mm-hmm. that time um, and then I've got customers coming to us going well what's happening why are we we're losing market share so my stats are going down and you know they're not understanding and I go it's an oversaturation of content every yeah. person's at home right now going oh well I just got done with work 
Um, I can't go outside. Um, I can't go to the gym. I can't. No. So they're making content. They're making videos. They're uploading YouTube's. They're doing podcasting and uh, you know and socially social activity really got to be you know something that was extremely important in the space to try to make sure that you kept your content up front and center in front of your audience to remind them that you were there because they're already looking for new content. You know, that's <laughs> yeah, and and I think and I think what I was trying to say with brand assets, and I didn't connect the dots for you, is is that's what I mean by creating content is is making sure that you're building those assets and creating content that's going to drive a purpose. Mm-hmm. But to your point, it's so saturated now. But it's so saturated because we feel as as the human race lonely. We want to make a connection. So if you can create content that's driving a conversation, that's engaging that's going to and you know using comments and ways to to communicate with people and still have that feeling of of uh, society that's what's going to get you ahead of the other guys that's awesome well we're getting really uh, low on our time today and there's a couple other items I wanted to cover maybe we'll have to have you back Rachel uh, and go over to. some other stuff because I bet you with the stuff that you're talking about now is going to be different next month <laughs> sure <laughs> Thank it you. might be different when you air this we'll see <laughs> yeah that's which will be uh, on the uh, 21st if you guys are listening to this uh, appreciate you guys all tuning in to Finding a Frequency um, Rachel has a, uh, a virtual networking event that she does every Monday from 12pm to 1pm Eastern Time um, they can find that on on the Paradigm Marketing and Design website, I would imagine? That's right, it's called Table for Four, and we actually started this immediately after COVID hit because, again, we were all starving for interaction. And you get to come to the event, you have, you know, it's a lunchtime event, uh, or if you're on the East West Coast, it's a it's a, a breakfast event, nice. and you're able to sit with three other people, and then the tables will switch, and you can sit with three more people, and you get to make interactions for people around the country. We have people in every state that attend, and it's an awesome event. If I could also plug, um, we also have a what I call the sales and marketing roundtable that we host every the third Tuesday of every month, and we have we have it's all about marketing, sales, and business growth. We've had speakers like Dave Matson from Sandler Training. We have uh, speakers like Precious Williams, who is a three-time best-selling author and Shark um, was featured on Shark Tank for how to pitch, how to make good pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, they're awesome. I highly recommend you check it out. You can also see that on our website at paradigmmarketinganddesign.com. Awesome, Rachel, thank you. We appreciate you being on today. Um, I also want to give you guys a reminder that uh, Rachel's also written a couple of books, uh, co-authored uh, Lessons Beyond the Obvious, The Entrepreneur's Hand Guide, and Breakthrough Results, um, and has uh, gotten many achievements in entrepreneurship and marketing. Go check out the books. Go check out the website. We definitely want to uh, get you guys signed up for that virtual networking event. Get uh, in on that and paradigm marketing and design. Go check out the website. Rachel, thanks for being on. Uh, where can we find you on uh, the I like to say the socials medias. I'm on, uh, you can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn, Rachel J. Durkin. And if you go to my Paradigm Marketing and Design uh, website, you'll be able to find my tab with my bio and all of my links to social media right there. Wonderful, wonderful. Rachel, thank you so much for joining Finding Your Frequency. We appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about the program, please send us an email at info at voiceamerica.com. And you're listening to Finding Your Frequency right here on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We'll talk to you guys all next week. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, guys. I want to pause the show for just a second because I want to talk about this really cool app called Stereo. I've been using it for a little while now, and man, it's pretty cool. 
It's a live broadcast social platform that enables people to have real conversations in real time. The app allows podcast creators to build an intimate relationship with their fan base by engaging them in direct conversations. Listeners can literally record a question, send it in while we're doing the live directly to us, and we can answer those questions and engage in real time. It's really cool. I've been using the app for a couple of weeks now. I've done a couple of variants on it with some random people and I've met people. I've already got some followers. So it is a really cool application and there's so much diverse content on there. You'll always find something to listen to. Finding Your Frequency is excited to offer our listeners a new way to interact. Join us every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific time for a live show on the Stereo app. You can download the free Stereo app and select Finding Your Frequency We're verified right there on stereo so you can connect with us whenever we're live. Stay tuned for more details on how to engage with us on stereo at the end of today's episode. Go to www.stereo.com forward slash Radio Ryan 1. Again, www.stereo.com forward slash Radio Ryan 1. Once you get in there, make sure you start following me. You'll start to check it out. And again, we got the shows that we're going to be doing every Friday at 2 o'clock Pacific time on the stereo app.